Another really interesting takeaway from this snapshot was that for the first time, an indigenous language was in the top 15 languages. Oh, how cool. So we need a drum roll here. And the language is Hawaiian. Oh, all right. Yeah. And uh, for everybody who is on Cornell's campus, we are actually going to offer a conversation hour in Hawaiian. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Sam and Angelica return from another summer break, ready to tackle burning questions about language classes and the students who take them, and even love them. It's Wednesday. You know what that means. Speaking of Language is back with a new look. You can check out our new logo on your phone or probably on whatever device you're listening to this on, but not if you're driving. Don't do that if you're driving. <laughs> So welcome to season 10. Can you believe it? 10 seasons? Uh, how the time flies. Yes, when you have fun and when you live through a pandemic. <laughs> we only have fun. Yes, we do. <laughs> this is the fourth episode in our annual What You Did Last Summer series. Uh, I'm not sure if we can come up with another snazzy title for next fall, but that's a bridge we can cross when we come to it. Let's talk about what we're doing today, this semester. Indeed, let's. And we will kick off this season 10 by talking a little bit about the state of language education in 2022. Perfect. So over the course of this calendar year, I attended a few interesting conferences, and I thought that we could just recap a few of those highlights. Um, early on in the year, I attended the annual NECTFL conference, the Northeast Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages conference. Mm -hmm. And um, my colleagues from the MLA, the Modern Language Association, uh, specifically Natalia Luzin, gave a presentation on the state of language education um, enrollments in the United States. So usually the MLA conducts a, a regular census. Um, of course, that was delayed due to a certain global circumstances that Got happened. It. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> um, so they conducted an enrollment snapshot in 2020. And this sample was a little bit different from um, how the census normally is collected because um, they basically looked at any enrollments that were available online. Um, and so they, they didn't have to request information from anyone. They, they just gathered whatever was available in um, online registries. Um, and, of course, they did pay attention to only include institutions in this 2020 snapshot that they also had included in the previous 2016 census. So what was interesting is that the top five languages have not changed. Um, only the, the position of the last two of languages four and five, um, those have switched spots. So the five most commonly taught languages in the United States continue to be Spanish, French, ASL, Japanese, and German. Um, interesting, though, was that only three languages across the board saw enrollment increases from 2016 to 2020. And those languages were American Sign Language. Okay. That increased by 4.6%, followed by, hold your breath, Biblical Hebrew. All right. Increased by 10.3%. And then the largest increase in enrollment was in Korean, 
by a grand 25.4%. Wow, that's... Yeah, that's not an insignificant increase, especially compared to the the, uh, trends in other languages. Yeah, yeah. Is there, in this study or in your own uh, armchair theorizing, uh, thoughts on where that's coming from? You know, I have a hunch it's related to K-pop, just the uh. popularity, um, and that this is really something that, if if you think about, I mean, this is this is focusing on higher education. Sure. If you look at the student demographic in higher education, those students are drawn to K-pop. That's that's actually a a, a sweeter and and uh, more pleasant answer than I I, I don't know I yeah, like that political uh, unrest. Nice right, exactly. <laughs> I don't, indeed, know, I don't get I, I don't get a ton of like bright and sunny news these days. I like to take it where I can get it. So no, thank absolutely, you. absolutely. On a side note, we actually hosted the annual conference of the AATK, the American Association of Teachers of Korean, on mm-hmm. Cornell's campus this summer, um, and I, I applauded, you know, their efforts sure. in, in contributing to this significant increase, and they, everybody who was on campus. Um, who I interacted with, they they truly are amazing language educators and oh. so dedicated and, you know, full of ideas and, and energy and enthusiasm. So I'm not I'm not surprised that yeah. we see this increase, but um, 25.4% is huge, definitely quite something. Another really interesting takeaway from this snapshot was that for the first time, an indigenous language was in the top 15 languages. Oh, how cool. So we need a drum roll here. And the language is Hawaiian. Oh, all right. Yeah. And uh, for everybody who is on Cornell's campus, we are actually going to offer a conversation hour in Hawaiian this semester. So stop on by the LRC and speak some Hawaiian. And I imagine they can find when that will be offered uh, on our website at lrc.cornell.edu. Oh, absolutely. I love that. (laughs) Another interesting study that was presented at the Shared Lichtel Symposium last month was conducted by Diana Murphy and her colleagues at the University of Wisconsin-Madison Language Institute. They were interested in figuring out why undergraduate students are not taking language courses and what the students tell us language educators what we can do about it. So as part of the study, they surveyed all undergraduates um, at the University of Wisconsin-Madison about the perceived value of proficiency in languages other than English. And they actually had um, quite a significant return on the survey, um, 3,298 students participated in the study, which is quite a nice sample. And so overall, what they found was um, that students value language proficiency whenever it is tied to their personal interests and maybe to their career plans. Mm. So those were, in general, students thought that language proficiency was was good um, when there was a personal connection or, or potentially a, a professional connection. Makes sense. Um so they also asked the students why they did not enroll in a language course in college. And this, of course, we all grapple with, right? Why sure. do students not take language courses and what can we do to entice students more? And um, probably not really surprising, but the most common reason was that language courses are not required for a major. Sure. 
So 68.3% of students um, noted that that was one of the reasons. Students could select more than one reason why they didn't enroll um, in a language course. The second most reason was that language courses did not fit their schedules. So that was almost 60%, 58.5%. And I think that's something that that we've grappled with for a while um, in the field. It takes a lot of time and dedication to gain proficiency in a language. Which means just like, you know, with playing an instrument, just like practicing a sport. So you have to put in the time and the effort. And that can be difficult for students to find that time if they are double majoring in two other disciplines. So what was interesting um, based on some of the open-ended comments was that it seems students are really interested um, in prioritizing degree requirements and credentialing. So they they want something more tangible and again, this is um, thinking about students who are not taking a language, right? right I think the reasons right. for students taking a language are are very, well, maybe not very different, um, but certainly more broadly faceted than that. But um, two things that stood out was that the the degree requirement is definitely important or earning some other kind of credential. So one... Um, quote that was um, presented at this conference, a student said that language courses would work better with my schedule or a four-year plan if I was able to use them for something useful, (laughs) such as a certificate. Right. But I have too many classes to take to waste time on classes that don't amount to anything academically for me. Harsh, but... I was about to say, it's a bit bit harsh, but (laughs) I... I do think that this is not an uncommon sentiment. No, well, and especially uh, understanding the the pressure that is on mm-hmm. students to have something to show for their expensive educations. Um, and, you know, we all, I mean, you and I, we're, we're liberal arts people, right? Indeed. So we, we, we love to get in the nitty gritty about like the, the humanist mm-hmm. benefits mm-hmm. of language education. Um, but there are realities yeah, of our yep. world and our students' needs that, yeah, it's an important thing to to remember. I yeah. Think. Well, and uh, time and money, right? Time and money. I mean, students want to graduate on time, and they do have many interests, and if they have more than one major or add a couple of minors, um, language classes certainly require time and effort. And that really, we, we hear that, at institutions across the United States that students would welcome more flexible scheduling or mm-hmm. potentially more hybrid options where you you do split between in-person and online. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see what the next few years here bring after we, you know, continue to process what we've, what we've learned during the pandemic um, in terms of what the best pedagogical you know, way forward is going to be for our students to learn. So the Wisconsin study also looked at ideas from students, what institutions could do to entice them to actually take language courses. Um, And only a a subgroup of students responded to um, those those questions. But basically, it boils down to um, three points um, one is to offer more class time options. Two is, well, I mean, this is basically what I just said. Two is to offer online or partially online classes. Oh, and if you can count, it's actually four. Number three is um, to change class meeting schedules. 
And number four is to offer lower credit courses. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was interesting, especially thinking about some of the initiatives we have here on yeah. Cornell's campus with our language across the curriculum and our Jumpstart courses. Right. I mean, those are only one credit courses, right? They will not lead to proficiency. For sure. Um, but we do see a lot of interest um, among students in, in these opportunities. Um, so that was... Yeah, that was a really interesting study. Um, it was partially replicated at Michigan State University as well. Um, I need to look at what the results there were. And I think um, I've been talking with a few colleagues to see if we can replicate it um, here too and maybe at some of the other Ivy institutions, Ivy League institutions to see how results compare between public institutions and private institutions. Yeah, yeah. Well, and... and uh... As you pointed out, we've all been uh, given a lot to process over the last couple mm -hmm. of years of, about pedagogy and and uh, you know moving forward and what what's working for our students and how to how to you know move things along in yep. a productive way. So it's nice to come back to another academic year with some of these <laughs> thoughts stirring and and. Um, yeah, to have some threads to follow. Yep, absolutely. And we're going to hit the ground running here this season, that's for sure. Yes. So, Samuel, mm -hmm. before we sign off, ah, what is a word that makes you laugh? Okay. Well, uh, a, a word that makes me laugh is actually a German word Ooh. for you. Uh, and it's been one of my favorites for a long time. It's Schmetterling, uh, just German for butterfly. Yes. Uh, and uh, the reason it really makes me laugh, of course, is is I recall my middle school French teacher, Madame Guillot, back in the day, uh, talking about all the beautiful ways that language can encapsulate not just what a thing is, but but uh, what it is like based on how the word sounds mm -hmm. and... Uh, you know, talking about mariposa and papillon, mm -hmm. and then in German, schmetterling, which I clearly remember her, she was a small person, getting up on a box and <laughs> pretending to flap her wings and saying, this butterfly wears combat boots and has a 50-foot wingspan. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine all the little German children going, ah, schmetterling! <laughs> so that's... Oh That's my, my god, that is hysterical. I love it. <laughs> oh my goodness. She was married to the German teacher at my middle school also. <laughs> oh my god. Well, and you know, actually, I mean, I I don't I don't I've never researched the etymology of the word schmetterling, but schmettern, the the verb means like to blare or like to <laughs> you know, like to me, like in an orchestra, when it's really loud, everything schmetters. So I, I don't know if there is a connection because, I mean, a, a butterfly doesn't really flap its wings and like, yeah. Well, unless the wingspan is 50 feet, then right. maybe, yes. But, oh, that is fantastic. Oh, good. Well, thank you for that little snippet. That certainly um, made me laugh. I appreciate that. This is wonderful. Well, it's good to be back. Yes, it is in person too. In, in person, I, yeah, we in should have said studio. that this is the first yeah, time that we've yeah. actually sat across from each yes. other, not separated by a pane of glass yep. or a Zoom window for yep. ever a while. Yes, indeed. <laughs> 
Next week, we will speak with Luana Hayes, a PhD candidate and Portuguese instructor from the University of Pittsburgh. She gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series on black feminist poetics and language teaching. And we will delve deeper into her findings and practices here on our podcast. But until then... Auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.